Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. And I'm doing it. I'm doing the opening, doing the start off on this Another episode, our 70 First. 71st podcast. Oh my God. Yeah. That's insane. That's right. Um, but yeah, we've got a, uh, a good topic for everyone today, we think. Uh, I have no idea what's going to come out of it necessarily, but that's how I like it. Yeah. And we don't know the answer. Yeah. So what, what is it? Evan? So it is, well, it's like, if you've clicked on it, you already know. And you're just like, Oh, here go these bastards again on (laughs) like prolonging, delivering the title on it, (laughs) even though everybody already knows. So today (laughs) we're talking about the line between stealing and inspiration. Uh, and yeah, it was like, it, it's kind of an interesting subject for, for art and, and creativity. And we were talking a little bit about John Cleese and stuff and some of the things he's had to say about creativity and, and, you know, stuff like writing and, and just the kinds of things that we're inspired by. But when do you cross that, that line of, okay, you, you got inspired by something and maybe you use some of that inspiration in your work but when does that become like just straight up plagiarism? When are you just stealing? Um, and even taking those elements, is there something wrong? I I feel like, is there even anything necessarily wholly original necessarily anymore? Like it's, it's kind of a weird area to, to get into. Yeah. And, um, also like not just stealing, but it take it further too, is like, where is it copying? Like, where do we become a copy and become inauthentic? Yes. You know, because I mean, there's, there's, if we actually literally steal or plagiarize, we've, you know, we've taken some, someone else's and we've declared it our own. Right. And there's a, there's a disconnection to ownership. And also we're kind of taking away a value that they earned a right to, you know, and, and claiming it as their own, but copying it, it might not necessarily hurt them, but I think it really hurts us. And it also hurts the audience because I think, um, you know, when we see a carbon copy of something, something we've seen over and over, we might put up with it, but I think it's very like, we're not really engaged with that. But I think when we see something that has a, a unique quality to it, something original, something with a bit of a voice and identity, we, we, we start to pay attention because I think we look at that and we go, well, you know, I maybe have seen things like this, but I've never quite seen this, this, this catches my attention. Right. And, yeah. And I think we're copying is it's not like a black or white thing. I also think it's a gray scale, you know, like we, we might copy in the sense that we have a similarity, but, um, but I think when we copy and we're kind of too close to it, then it starts to become, you know, like a crutch. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, especially like for what our backgrounds are. I mean, that's, it's very easy to see where a lot of these types of things take place. Like in film and television, like there's a graveyard of, you know, pilots and TV shows that 
were carbon copies of something else or shows that never made it out of a first season. Yeah. And, and for good reason, like I, I watch stuff and, and within like the first 15 minutes of it, I'm just like, this is, you know, this is clearly just trying to be this. Yeah. It's trying to be this. And, 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 you know, sometimes I think that, you know, these, they're trying to, they're trying to put something into it. That's like, Oh, but this is what makes it different. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and sometimes I find that that kind of approach is, is a little bit shallow and a little bit, it's just kind of like a novelty almost. It's like, yeah, but no, you're still just basically trying to copy this show and you're just sort of putting a new coat of paint on it Mm -hmm. and it's still the same exact damn thing. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where, um, you know, the inauthenticity comes. It's like if an artist takes something and just, you know, takes the same thing and just colors it differently, they, they haven't really offered anything new, especially if they're trying to, you know, push themselves. I mean, I think that there's, you know, I think that there's certain kind of, uh, shows where, um, at least for acting, where if the actors don't necessarily bring a lot of originality to the table, that these shows kind of want that. They want the stereotypical. But I think also, like, there's, you know, there's a, a process maybe to, for the show just getting made, just to, you know, to, to maybe, like, the leads are original, but then, you know, the surrounding cast is, like, relatively um, relatively predictable, right? Yeah. And I think for for actors out there, I think it's very hard to stand out when you're kind of being typecast and put into a role that's just a kind of a copy and a safe bet. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, that's copying. I don't think it's necessarily stealing. Um, but I think that it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's almost like, um, it's, it's, it's not bad, but it's not really good. It's kind of like in that middle ground. Whereas like stealing or theft is, is bad. It's destructive. Yeah. Something truly original is, is good or great or awesome or builds value. Something in the middle is kind of like, I think there's a certain value to it, but it's, it's just such a minimal, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I feel like I want to get into something like, you know, there's, there's a show like the office that came around and, and the whole way that, 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 that did a show. It was, it was so fresh. I mean, and it did borrow from, you know, the, the original British show, but like it, when it made its move over into North America and and with Steve Carell and stuff, and it was a huge hit. And, uh, and now it's like an, an entirely new, it's almost like a genre now within, within television. Yeah. And there's been a lot of different like attempts at it. Some of them have worked and some of them haven't, but you know, there have been some successful ones that took inspiration without stealing, like something like parks and rec, uh, and recreation, which I was a huge fan of. Yeah, it was a good show. Um, It was a great show, but it took, it just took the inspiration from the concept of how they basically decided to to film it, which is like, Oh, we're going to do this, you know, documentary, almost documentary style. Um, and some of them, tie themselves a little closer to it or not so much. But I mean, even, even if you look at the office, it's like, well, that's still like, that took inspiration from, from like spinal tap. Yeah. You know, like, so there's, there's also this whole factor that plays into this conversation that, well, you know, we've all just sort of like built on top of, of something else, you know, like that's kind of how the evolution has, has gone, you know, it's like, and we need to, I mean, it's uh, you know, there's a saying and I, I don't remember who said it, but stand on the shoulders of giants, Mm -hmm. you know, like everything that everyone's done before us, 
we need to pay tribute to and recognize that, hey, they got us to this point. And now as an artist today, you build on what's already been done. I think where when an artist just tries to hit the same level of what's already been done, you're, you're doing everyone a disservice, including yeah. yourself, because like, you know, you're, you're just copying what's already been done. The other thing too, is to not have tribute and acknowledge what's done in the past to try and build from the ground up on your own. I mean, that's, I would say that's kind of a dumb move, you know, because like people have already done it. So as an audience member, if you, if you're doing something, someone's already done and you're saying, well, I did it. It was original for me. It's like, well, it's not original for us as the audience. Like, you know, you just kind of, even if you weren't copying from them, like, I think an artist needs to be well-informed about their industry. Like I think, um, as, as a filmmaker, if you want to be a filmmaker today, you need to be very, very well-informed. I mean, you know, like there's so many movies out there and, um, I think you need to get informed about what's kind of out there so that you can kind of have a grasp on what to call from. And then from there you can build on top of that. And I think that comes from anything, music or, you know, painting or whatever, like take an art history class, understand the different styles of art that have already been done. And then you can kind of come up with something new from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, but it's still a tricky thing because there, then you can just do something because then you run the risk of doing something different simply for the sake of doing something different. And that doesn't usually work out either. But I think when, when people are doing something different just for the sake of being different, they're usually not giving tribute to what's already been done. Because like, if you think about it, like a filmmaker who gives tribute or an artist or a musician or whatever, they're recognizing that, okay, in the past, these things have worked. So as a base, I'll use those and then I'll build on top of that. Whereas I think we're like, you know, and they call them like, uh, you know, the art house filmmaker is where they go. I'm going to just totally abandon everything that's been done. And I'm just going to do it my way, my own way. And the thing is, is that you're not really actually being artistic because someone back in the day, I guarantee you tried to do it that way. And they just started discovering that like without having a little bit of structure, a little bit of, you know, that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time it didn't work out. So film started to be more and more structured over time. And now we, we were more in the risk of being overstructured, but, um, still it doesn't mean that the structure is bad. You know what I mean? And I think like even, uh, you know, you could take that with music, you know, like music, they have the certain what, what are the terms like, uh, you know, where you have, um, kind of the part that's repeated, you know, uh, the chorus, the chorus, and, right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean chorus, like bridge verse, right, that's a yeah. structure of a song. Right. And so, uh, you know, and the guitar solo might come like 75% of the way through the song, for example. Yeah. And it's not to say that that's the only way to do it, but what, what I think what ends up happening is with these various art mediums, we kind of start to go, okay, this kind of works. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like you'll notice some filmmakers, if you're in tune with filmmaking, which I'm pretty in tune with, you'll notice some filmmakers, like it used to always be, you kind of frame the heads a certain way in the, in the camera. Well, now some filmmakers are cutting right in They're They're cutting off the chin and cutting off the forehead and they're just showing the lips and the eyes, Yeah, which used to be too tight. But now that style is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with kind of like, and the thing is, is that that's not even necessarily a new thing. Like no. that, like, uh, Sergio Leone, he used to, if you watch something like the good, the bad and the ugly, right. some of the tight shots that he did, there, just like right in on the eyes and the totally. lips and stuff. Like it was like, he was doing that stuff a long time ago. Right. And so like, it's interesting you say that because you know, these, the, this is, I think where, 
when it becomes an inspiration is where it, it resembles something of the past, but it's not, it's not like, it's not the same. It has its own kind of, you know, delivery. Yeah. And sometimes there is something to be said for doing a tribute to a work that you really admired. I mean, we're starting to see some of, some of that, that now, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, styles and, and things that artists have done, like, uh, you know, filmmakers and stuff, but like, and, and musicians and some of like what the, the magic of something that they'd kind of stumbled upon within their medium that they became kind of known for, or was a kind of a signature or a trademark, if you will. Uh, you know, a lot of times those things, like as the years go on, like decades, like a whole generation, a lot of times these things get kind of forgotten about. Mm. And, and so this, uh, I think also comes into the conversation. I mean, there's so many different things that fill into this is that, you know, now we can see somewhat of a resurrection of someone saying like, Oh, like whatever happened to, to people doing stuff like this. Right. And you get almost like a direct, like sort of like shot of something from an old, like an old master or whatever. And it gets, it sees kind of a new life, a new resurrection into modern, because for a new generation, right. People who've never seen anything done that was maybe once done, but isn't necessarily done anymore. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's like fashion, you know, like fashion comes back into style and then, you know, people play on the fashion. I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, GM and these American car companies, they recognized, um, you know, what was the last over the last decade or so, like how nostalgia is a, is a feeling that people want, you know? And so they started bringing back these old cars, but like with a new style, with a new body and with a modernization to them and yet resembling things of the past. And, um, you know, and, and those, those cars have really like, you know, that, that concept, that idea has really taken off. Yeah. And, um, you know, it used to be too, like, uh, you know, there's sometimes where originality is too original. Like, um, if, if you're familiar or anything, like I used to, you know, like at aerodynamics and like all this stuff about designing cars, I used to be really interested in that. It was a job that I maybe considered when I was younger. Um, too much math, for yeah. me, to be honest. <laughs> and, you know, too much grunt work that I wasn't interested in, but, um, you know, very like futuristic concept cars, if someone made one of those as cool as they are, the the reason why they don't make those or weren't making those, at least in the past was because they're like, it's so futuristic. People will be like uncomfortable with it. It's yeah. too, too much of a risk. So you'd notice that if, if they made a concept of a car, they would actually, by the time it was released, pair it back quite a bit. Yeah. It isn't only until recently that concept cars have actually been actually they've been starting to like push them forward and be like, no, we actually like this concept. We're going to, cause people yeah. are opening up to the and idea of that their what futurism they'll accept. Yeah. And, know? and sometimes that doesn't even have to do necessarily with the, with the design. Sometimes it has to do with the economics of the design. Like, right. you know, there's a lot of times these concepts, like if you want to talk about cars, like these concept cars come out and, and they're great, but it's like, yeah, but in, if we were to make this car, like, you know, and some of these concepts come out from like, you know, not, not even like really like high tier manufacturers, you know, like these are companies like, you know, like Ford or Honda or Volkswagen or something, you know, people who have a certain, you know, a certain market and they put out these concept cars and they, so it's like, yeah, this is, we made this car and it's extraordinary, but 
as of right now, this car would cost us about $300,000 to make. Right. So it just, it just doesn't make sense for someone like them to do something like that either. Right. Like until, you know, the, sometimes it's the technology catches, catches up and you're able to do things in, you know, a little bit cheaper for them to make it economical for them as a company. Um, and yeah, and that's also why you see stuff stripped down or pared down as, you know, when something starts to roll out because it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I actually met a few years ago, a guy who was, uh, a designer. Um, I won't say for which company, for which car company, but he was a designer. Like he, he worked on concepts and he worked on everything from like the body to like the, like the dashboards, like he would design for you. And he's like, there were, there are certain constraints that, that he had to adhere to. It was like, Oh, well we came up with this, with this new like dash system, right? This new design and it costs, it's going to come to the company at a cost of like, you know, $22 per vehicle. And they say, it's like, well, we only have a budget of 16 dollars per vehicle on this. So you need to like, <laughs> and that, really? and that's how it wow. actually goes. So it's, and you don't, and $22 and $16 doesn't seem like a lot, but when you start adding up all these components, it, you know, the car it begins gets huge. To, and now yeah. this car that they want to try and sell, you know, economically at, you know, like $17,000, which is maybe a competitive a price compared to their other, you know, the other people who are yeah. offering. Yeah. But if you start to add up all these things, by the time it gets on onto a dealership and, you know, right. To be offered to, to a consumer, that car went from 17,000 to like 24,000. Right. Which right. is a huge difference, especially if you're like a student or someone who's like, you know, like, or whatever. I mean, if you, if you don't have a lot of income and you're trying to buy your first new car, that's a, you know, that a few thousand dollars can be a really big deal for some people. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, I was, this may have been a bit of a detour on the conversation. No, I don't think so because, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, in our last podcast, actually we're talking about realism and idealism. And I think that, um, it, it plays a lot into this whole thing about, um, copying and, and being an original because being an original is an ideal, right? Being a copy is like realistic. I mean, you know, in the sense that what I mean is we will probably end up copying somewhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. like most of what we've learned to do is a copy. Like if you go to film school, you're learning a lot of copying. You're basically learning copying. And then the assumption is that you'll learn the copying well enough that you'll go beyond that and be original. Yeah. But uh, the problem that I have with film school is they promise to teach you originality, which they don't. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Right. Well, maybe you know, some, you're, do, maybe some of the higher tier ones do. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I think, and, and I think that this is starting to, to shift in a lot of the edu- you know, educational system. Yeah. Um, but there has been such a heavy emphasis on, on the technical sides of things. I think that because to a degree, it's something that is a little bit more concrete in being like material that you can teach. Right. You know, like you yes. can, like they want that, systems, they want yeah, it to a, be easy. It's a system. Right. It's something that you can just sort of package and deliver, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, you batch it, you know, like you just, <laughs> right. That like the, and it work. it's, it's a way of working. You have an easier way of, of measuring somebody's progress and, and grades and whatever. But, um, it comes very often at the expense of nurturing, you know, the creativity and, and nurturing the, the, artistic side of, 
these different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that to a degree, it's like, yeah, there is this mentality of it's like, well, it's like, we're, yeah, we're just giving you the technical stuff. And then we're just trusting that you already have, yeah. you know, the, the artistic wherewithal to, to do what you will with it and to do something different. Yeah. And but like, they tell you that after they don't, they yeah. don't tell you that before. Yeah. You know what I don't like about it is I don't like how they take these young people who have all this promise and all this hope and dreams of being film directors and, and, and that, and they, they, they buy into this, you know, $40,000, $80,000 program with the belief that it will help them, that, that they'll spend this money and that's what they'll have to do. And like the, the, the lie, you know, the lie is that, you know, no, that's just what you are going to get. And then from there you're on your own, you know, and they say, well, you got this film community, you got all that other stuff. And it's like, you know, yeah, you're going to have some connections, which is really helpful. And it's good that you got integrated a bit into the industry. Yeah. But, um, you know, the thing is, is like the fine print is, no, you're going to have to take whatever you learn and now you're going to have to actually go apply it in the real world. And, um, you know, this, this kind of like money that you're putting into it is not necessarily going to, going to get you anywhere. Although like what I've seen, at least what I've seen with some film programs, as far as like, um, visual artists, you know, um, they're kind of a little bit like technicians, but I, I've seen those programs are exceptional for that type of job because mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I mean, I, I have a, a friend who learned, uh, actually a few people I know who learned on videocopilot.com, which maybe we'll add that in the, in the link. If you want to learn okay. visual effects, go to videocopilot.com and watch all those videos. And you can literally learn yourself. You don't need to pay your 40,000, $80,000 to go to a program. If you have like, um, your own computer and you're willing to, go do this yourself. You just apply all those lessons. You're going to start to get pretty good at it. Granted. I mean, you know, like actually Gabe, Gabriel Napora, who isn't, um, you know, you can check out his podcast, pretty big producer. He, he says one of the best visual artists he's ever worked with was self-taught. He didn't go to film school, learned on his own, learned through watching videos online and applied them. And so I think like, um, you know, that is someone who is, is getting this access to information and then they're taking their will and applying it. And, um, you know, I think that the, the problem is, is that when you put someone through a school that has a packaged program, I, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad or good. I just don't like the, that it's overpromised. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that, you know, you're, you're, I'm going to go to film school and, and then it's going to work out. I mean, I think the thing is, is that you're, you're getting a package program that's teaching you just the basics. That's it. And, and like, unless you have a really like great mentor teacher in there, um, someone who's really going to be interested in your personal career and helping you like express your voice, I think you're either going to have to figure out how to do that on your own, but that school, that money that was put in, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, and I think a lot of film people, I think there'll be exceptions. Like there'll be people who go to film school who they're going to succeed at anything like they're going to succeed in life because they have that will. They have connected to their dream. If they didn't go to film school, they would have succeeded anyway. And then there's people who are like, I'd really like to do film and I have no knowledge about it. And maybe they don't have a lot of great mentorship in their life. And so they're, they're not getting the mentorship in their film school. And so then they kind of like, 
you know, there's so many people who pay their, their massive amount for film school. And then they end up working as a PA or, or some technician job on set. And that, not that there's a problem with that. I think that's great. We need people to do that. But the problem that I have is that they had bigger dreams and, and then they didn't know how to actually cross that bridge. Yeah. But they, when they were younger and they were more idealistic, they kind of had that promise. Um, and so I think originality and voice, like what we're trying to venture into here, that's where the, that's where we get to do the dream. You know, when we start to become original, when we start to find our voice, that's where we get to live the dream. But I don't think you get to live the dream if you're just a copy. Yeah. You know, if you just steal and you just copy and you just kind of, you know, you don't, you don't really, uh, I mean, you need to understand, um, what's already been done, mm-hmm. but you need to also move beyond that. Yeah. And also to like, cause in this whole conversation, it's, you know, you look at the things to me, it's like you begin with the things that you like. You look at the things that, that you like, the way that people have done certain things and what kind of connects with you for some, you don't necessarily need to know exactly why it connects with you, but just, you know, to see the kinds of things that you like in, in whatever work that you do, and then ask yourself the question, what would I do with something like this? Hmm. I think that's like the, like how to go from into the realm of just like of inspiration as opposed to be like, Oh, I like this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do exactly that for, for this. I'm going to write a song that's exactly like this, or I'm going to do, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, but it is a, it it can be a tricky thing, Mm -hmm. I guess, in terms of what is tricky. I mean, you know, you, you take, you take, uh, you know, you take 10 actors, right? And eight of the actors are going to look at the scene well, maybe, maybe seven of the actors are going to look at the scene. The majority of the actors are going to look at the scene and they go, this is the way the scene's done. And all of them will be relatively generic if they think that's how the scene's done. Yeah. But there'll be a, there'll be a kind of a suggestion in every scene has a bit of a suggestion in it, in it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's the obvious, right? And, uh, there'll be one person who just totally doesn't get it and they're a wild card because they either don't get it and they're totally off the mark or they're just kind of, they end up doing it so different that it's kind of interesting. And so they kind of catch your attention. And then there's another two who are basically like, you know, one or two who are like kind of in that realm of like, you know, let's try doing it this way. And they do something with it, which is really unique. And I would, I would say that the three people that get the callbacks are the weird person who didn't know what the hell they were doing. And the two people who did, and and maybe the fourth person is the best of the seven. Yeah right? And those are the four people that get the callback or whatever, some variation of that. And so if you want to be a a successful artist, I think where you really, and and where you want to blossom is you want to be one of those two, you know, the, or 1% even of, or 10% of the whole thing where you're the one who kind of looks and you, and you understand how the scene should probably be done. You get that. It's not that you don't, you know, if I was going to say the 20%, right? The two people that do it different, one person does it different because they're just defiant. They, yeah. they they do it different defiantly because they're like, I'm going to defy how it's done because that, that's how I do it. But the other person goes, this is how everyone else is probably going to do it. This is how it looks like it's supposed to be done. But they're like, what do I see in it? What do I have a voice in this? Mm-hmm. And what's, you know, and that person, you know, I think those seven are trying to do that. Like, you know, maybe some aren't, but some are. But the person who really commits to their authenticity in the scene they're going to come up with something special, you know? 
And that's, that's what I think. Like, and I think it's like that, not just with acting, but with like everything. Yeah, no. I, and I think just to, to keep on going with this, this example, just because it's something that I have a lot of experience with and (laughs) right my past, but it's just like, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, for a period of time, like years where I was going into auditions as a technician, you know, that was the way that I thought it was supposed to be done once you got to this, this level. And, and just the sort of like the, there's this really shallow feeling at the end of every single audition. It was like, it's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Like that was kind of the way that it was walking right. out. It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like I look this, I break, I broke this down. I know what's going on in it. Yeah. I know what's happening. Um, but yet I kind of feel this weird sort of emptiness now coming out of this. And and it's just like, it's just an, a really, a, a miserable, miserable sort of feeling. Totally. Um, I've done the same thing. You're, you're being one of the seven. I mean, and that's, yeah. that's how most of us are going to get taught. And that was my point earlier about film school. Film school is teaching you to be one of the seven. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, is that in some ways the seven, like the, the 70% of people, and this is, I think this is not just in acting. I think this is in everything. 70% of us in society and, and maybe I'm making up these odds, you know, but it's definitely more than 50. So let's say 60 to 80% of people are going to do the technician version of mm-hmm. the job. And that's good because in certain ways we need people who can get the job done and, um, you know, they can, they can dot all the I's and cross all the T's and get the thing right. And, 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 we, and we need that. Sometimes. Yeah. And there is something to be said about being able to really truly understand what's, what, like what's yes. in front of you, the things that they kind of need are, are important in yeah. terms of like how something fits within the larger picture. Right. But it's a copy. I mean, basically yeah. you make seven or eight copies, six to eight copies of this person that can do the same thing. Yeah. You know, and, and film school is great for helping you have a great crew in a lot of ways because, you know, a great new crew that's not expensive because, you know, you got all these kids or people who are brand new to film who all know how to do the job mm-hmm. and they, and you know, they all basically, you know, if they all graduated, the theory is they have the relevance to do it so they can all do the job. It might not be done really well, but they'll do it. And so you can rely on them and it's better than say pulling your friend from the street and saying, Hey, can you help me on my film? Who's never gone to film school? Cause they don't know what they're doing. So in some ways, like the film school student has a huge advantage that way. But my, my point is that the film school student, if they want to not just be a part of this six to eight, 80%, 60, 80%, they need to go, okay, well I can do the job, but now what do I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think that so much of this conversation, this is really about getting connected to our own sense of what we, of what we can truly bring authentically bring, um, the value of our, of our own voices. And which is why we so often talk about this. It's like, it's important that we get in touch with that. Like we really start learning to, to listen to that voice that is being that, that creative spark that is in inside us that wants kind of like to be expressed because that's, that's how you do bring something to, you know, like that's how you bring your originality. Because again, like I've, I always find that like, again, as an actor, like I was, I was told as I was trying to sort of like crack the 
crack the code to this whole, whole fucking thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, well I'm doing everything right. Like I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm going by like the way I was trained and like, there's just, it's just nothing. I don't feel good. It's not giving me re- any results. But like, you get roles here and there. Here That's and part there. of the problem. Yeah. It's like you he, will, you, if you do it right, it's kind of a game of odds. You'll kind of, if you're, if you know, if you're, if you do it right and you kind of have something to offer kind of a little bit, you kind of will get roles here or there. So yeah. you think that maybe you'll, it'll just get better. But like what you don't realize is that you're, you, you, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes even you're even getting feedback. That's just like, Oh yeah, no, like it yeah. they did great. Yeah. They did it like the, you know, casting director will give your agent feedback. It's like, they didn't get the part, but like, no, they did a good job. You know, like, yeah, we'll, we'll see them again. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay. <laughs> and you know, right? and I it's, think for the casting director, like, and you know what, um, you, you know, for the casting director, the casting director needs to bring in people that the, you know, the directors and producers are happy with. Yeah. So bringing in actors that are consistent, that always get the scene right, that always do everything right. They're kind of, uh, they're really good because they're a nice safe choice. Yeah. Right. For a casting director. Now the casting director might not be like, they're my favorite, but if they're consistent and they always kind of get the scene, that's a really good, safe bet for a casting director to bring in. They may not be at the top of their list of who they want to bring in, yeah. but they can always be like, okay, I know this person will at least give them a, an option, right? Because I think the worst thing a casting director can have is to bring in a bunch of people and the director and producer and writer and everybody, they don't like anyone they brought in because the casting director will get fired, yeah. right? Or, I mean, that costs them a lot of money to do that. And so yeah. it's like, you know, it's a, it, so the casting director, like anyone in any job, they want to have their safe choices. So out of the seven people, they're going to pick their favorite of those seven people, yeah. you know? And, uh, and then I think, um, it's, it's those other three, like, you know, that are interesting. And the one who's like super inconsistent, the one that like, doesn't know, they just always do a different choice. If they're good, then, you know, you go, okay, well, I don't know what they're going to do, but at least it'll be interesting. Yeah. But the other two, like, you know, and that, like that are actually, they understand, but they actively make that choice to bring in something interesting. Like those are the ones that, that everyone wants. Those are the ones you want to cast. Yeah. But I mean, I think that there's also an element because what I was, what I was sort of like getting to was that, yeah, sorry. No, it was a good detour. I liked it. Um, was that like, you know, I had, I had been given like that, that sort of feedback of, or know that lesson. I was like, Oh, well, it's like, you know, you've got to, you've got to bring like, you've got to bring what you like, what you've got, you've got to bring your thing into it. Right. And it's just like, and it was just like, okay, yeah, I got to bring my thing to it. And, but then not really knowing what exactly my thing was. Right. And it's like, it, it, and it became still another kind of almost a technical intellectual exercise of like, okay, well, what am I like sort of, and then also the word branding starts coming into that. Oh, as that's where and, things go wrong. You're right. Cause then, cause then teachers and mentors are going or whatever they're going, yeah, you need to brand yourself. Yeah. You need to be more niche. Yeah. And, and then like, it's just like the next thing, you know, now you're, <laughs> now you're just kind of putting another's like sort of superfluous thing into right. what you're doing. And you know, if, if I can give any sort of like experiences to when I started having some, some semblance of success, like within, within that realm of that, you know, of the industry and going in casting director, like sitting in the auditioning room, going in, you know, it's an uncomfortable, like the whole thing I never really like found a, a, 
it was hit or miss and how comfortable I felt with the whole process of it sometimes. But, um, that's something that you just got to learn to sort of deal with, right. And create a certain change your perspective on what you're doing. But the times that I had success, I went and I went in with like, you know, I'm do, I did sort of like a lot of that technical work that I'd maybe done, but there was, I was going in with a certain sense of something when I came in that was beyond the technical work that I had done and the technical, technical work that I knew. There was just something that I'd connected to. There was a feeling that I had inside this sort of part that I was, that I was going in for. And, and that's when I had the most success, you know, that's when I was booking stuff where it was just like, it was a feeling inside me. It was a connection to something that was like, that was beyond just, Oh, I'm going to do this because it's interesting. And you know, this will be different or, or just like how to do this right. It was, it was something far deeper than that. And I think that that's something that gets, again, it gets lost in, in the whole thing of, this idea of, of doing it right, doing it correctly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that doing it right, doing it correctly is kind of the industry demand and the connection you're talking about that, that personal connection to the role and understanding of the story that kind of, um, hits you in, in your insides in your own instincts or whatever, that's the artistry. And, um, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think what we're, we're aiming to do is, um, with, with the industry stuff we do is to bring our artistry to it. But then, you know, if we're all artistry and no industry, you know, figuring out how do we take this thing that's inside of us and actually, um, you know, figure out how to communicate it and share it with, you know, the world, because that's the industry Mm -hmm. side of it. You know, it's interesting as we're talking about this copying and authenticity, it kind of comes back down to the same thing. Like authenticity is, is ultimately our, artistry. You know, it's our, it's our personal flavor, our personal touch. It's not better or worse. It's just simply us, right? Yeah. It's, it's you, it's me, it's, it's our thing, right? Yeah. And then the industry thing is, is like, okay, well, this role demands someone who looks like this or, or behaves like this or whatever. Right. And so then it gives you kind of, it's not like a pinpoint specific. It's like a, a, it's like an area, a a territory, so to speak, that you need to kind of fill. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, in some ways, like if you're going to cast, I mean, let's, let's just like go, okay, if you need to cast like a tough guy in a movie, you might go with someone who really, um, you know, can really fill the space of being a tough guy, you know, even though you might have an a- another actor that's more truthful in a certain respect, um, someone might just have like a physical advantage or, you know, whatever. And that's the industry side of it where like when an audience watches a movie or a television show, they will look at someone and they will have perceptions about them. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just look at how certain roles are cast, right? Like, you know, if, if you need someone and you need to believe they're like someone who's lived on the streets and they're, you know, they've been to prison, whatever, I'm just giving a character example. Well, if they look like this clean cut crew, you know, like little skinny 
person, you're going to be like, yeah, I don't believe this guy's a tough guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Unless they bring some kind of really internal thing in there and they look really kind of scary. Yeah. Like just from a physicality point, yeah. you're not going to believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then some, some, you know, sometimes that the, the odds are, dif- are different, but I think usually when casting puts out a note, for example, I don't know where we're talking about acting, but they put her note. They, 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 there's an imagination. It's like a shaved head guy with tattoos and he wears leather jackets. And that's how you initially envision it. But the artistry comes in and the artistry goes, okay, like I get that what they want me to do is wear a leather jacket, have a shaved head and have tattoos on my arm. I get that that's what they're asking for. I get that they probably want me to talk tough and intimidate this person here. But the artistry goes in like, what do I know about this? What do I know about needing to intimidate someone? Instead of coming from this like overcasting kind of surface version of the character, you come underneath and you find that kind of like, like, the way in which you would intimidate somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's interesting. Like you look at, uh, you know, women have a huge demand in acting like to be sexy, you know, physical, you know, it's not, it's not news, but there's a difference between looking sexy and kind of being pretty. And there's another thing about actually being sexy and like knowing how to carry yourself and knowing how to seduce and understanding tone of voice and, and the way in which you move your body and, and not just from like an external, like, Oh, I'm going to model what this person did, but from an internal, like I'm really turned on and I, and I'm, and I'm like a lion, like I'm going to get you kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Right. And that's, you know, and that's that person's brand of doing that. Right. And that's the artistry. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and, and I think it's learning to listen for that, for that voice. Cause to me it is, it's kind of like this voice that's inside us. It's these feelings that we get while we're, while we're approaching a type, like a work, you know, it's like, we have like the technique, the, the technique can kind of step in and she's like, okay, like, like, how are we going to, how are we going to structure this? How do we understand this? Blah, 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 blah. But it's like, that's all fine and good. But like, it's in between that. It's like almost like in between the cracks. It's like, I'm getting these like feelings, these impressions, these, you know, like the, these things are, are, are kind of speaking to me in mm-hmm. another way as I'm going through it. And that's the stuff that I think that as artists, we're not, we're not, we're not prioritizing nearly as much because I think it's also, um, in some ways a skill that we have to develop, you know, like right. to learn to that and to learn to listen to that and to learn to trust it, that it's going to steer us in the right direction you know, it's, um, I hear you. And you know, it's really interesting. It just dawned on me that industry wants you to do what's necessary. Artistry wants you to do what is like extra. You know what I mean? It's like when you think about industry, right? When you think about school to pass the test, you have to do the job they ask for. You don't have to do any more, but don't do any less. Mm -hmm. But artistry is like more like, you know, you need to do what the job is required, but you need to do that and like walk the extra mile. Mm-hmm. And is, and the reason why this just dawned on me is because I was thinking about it. I, I had a conversation with a video game designer a little while ago and uh, I'd love to get a video game designer on here. Yeah, He's that would so be really good. cool. Um, but uh, this person was telling me about how video games are being designed today. And if they're not a sandbox version, which is like, you know, a Grand Theft Auto where you can kind of walk anywhere. Right. If they're kind of a, a game, which is actually directing you on a, on a journey, but it's actually somewhat restricted. He was telling me about how, what they're trying to do right now with video games 
and they're, they're developing their skill and ability to do this is to give you the illusion of choice. Even though you don't have choice, if the person feels like they have choice, they feel like the game is much bigger than it is. Mm. So to give you an example of how this would work is let's say that you want the character to walk down this, this, uh, this alleyway, right? Or this street. Well, what you might do is you might create other streets and other alleyways they could walk down, but um, you'll direct them somehow. So l- let's like say uh, Silent Hill, for example, your character's walking down the street and you see this little kid like running down that street. So there's a certain time pressure. Like you you believe if you don't run after the kid, that the kid will get too far away and you'll lose your opportunity. So you, you without thinking, you kind of chase the kid, right? Because the game's kind of, you know, you need to find this kid, right? That's part of the thing but there's alleyways and other streets you could walk down. What you don't realize is as you're experiencing it is that those streets and alleyways just hit dead ends, but you can't see that from your perspective. So they look like they just go into this huge expansive city way off to the side. So like what video game designers who are doing, who are like, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more advanced and really understand this is they'll build the alleyways or streets farther than they have to. So that you'll start walking down them a while and you'll start being like, okay, I'm going to turn back because it doesn't end. Like I'm, you know, and you feel like you're going to get lost. So like, like what you want to do is you want to walk that extra mile because you know, like when I play video games, for example, I'm like a curious, like I'm very curious. I like to check every corner. I really like to investigate the game. So if they do a really good job at this, I start to like, it will take like a game that everyone else beat in like say 10 hours or 15 hours takes me like twice as long because I investigated so much of it. Right. Um, but I do find that I really like that because it gives you a feeling of, uh, kind of like, well, this world is so much bigger than what I'm seeing right here. Mm -hmm. But really the game design is actually small, but, but it feels big. Right. And I think that's where the artistry comes in. It's where you do what's necessary, but you make it because you're, because you, you walk that extra mile, because you find that internal world, you build it outward and no one ever sees it, right? Like most people will never walk down those alleyways and see those corners that were built, yeah. but they're there. Yeah, the, yeah. It meets the demands, but there's, there's a certain quality to it. There's like this underlying quality that you sort of, again, it's more of a, it's more of an experience. It's more of a feeling to it than it is necessarily any, yeah, it's a feeling. Any, exactly. Any, yeah. It's yeah. not necessarily, it's not a technical thing. It's just like, it's, there's a quality to it. There's yeah. just a quality to it that you just can't quite put your finger on. And, and I think that that's where, where true artistry is starting to show its face. Yeah. Right. Which is why I like to get back into our subject, why it's like, you know, we can, we can see something that's quite familiar. We can oftentimes, uh, see a work that, or hear a work, you know, uh, that is very familiar to something that has been done before, but there's, there's still an authenticity. There's still a quality. There's not, you don't get this feel like, Oh, this is like a, this is like just a rip off. Like they're just ripping off this person and this person or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, like there's, you know, sometimes you go, it's like, Oh, well, there's, there's a reason for that happening. I mean, I'm in music, like I'm finding that there's these resurgences in like some of these old sounds, like there's these, uh, new artists who are coming out, like, who are kind of like their, their sound is, is so reminiscent to like old Motown or, you know, like that, that sort of stuff or like old sort of like 
uh, California rock from like the sixties or something like that. And they bring these, some of these sounds back. Um, because sometimes I think that as an artist, you actually end up finding, you actually end up finding a part of your voice within these, within these things, right? Like you kind of almost use it as like a new type of canvas to work with, right? Like with, uh, I would imagine like with the song, you know, it's like you can go through like a, a structure of like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, outro, or maybe there's a bridge in between there. It's like, that's one way of doing a song. Right. Yeah. And maybe that ends up that structure is just something that you play with in terms of like, okay, well, let's see what I, I can discover within this, within this framework. And then you try something that's maybe a little bit less conventional, mm. right? It's like, oh, let's try working with this structure. I find something else in there. Um, you know, one of my favorite musical artists is, uh, is John Mayer. Yeah. And he's done some really interesting things with his sound, um, over his last couple of albums. It's like, and, and it's, I don't think that that was him just saying like, oh, like I, I just wanted to do it because it was different. That was, I'm, started using this style of music because it was connecting me to a voice in me. It was, it was helping me to express things that I wasn't able to do. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. necessarily before, maybe we can have John Mayer on the show sometime and he, and yeah, we can talk on, about John. it. Come yeah. on, John, come on. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that's kind of the best way to go with, with inspiration is, is to look at it as a canvas or, or, or something to help free a part of yourself, you know, like you just, you just use it. It's like a backdrop, right? But it's not the main show yeah. of everything, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting, like how this is, this conversation has gone because I mean, you know, what I'm, what I'm seeing more as well is like, um, just kind of like artistry is not it's not restricted, you know, industry is very restricted in the sense that there's a very like right and wrong, yes or no, um, you know, direction and and destination and goal and, and measurability to it. Whereas artistry is this kind of thing where it's much more about like internal honesty and, and, uh, your own sense of calibration. It's very subjective, you know, and, uh, where industry is very objective. And I think, um, where copying comes in is when you cut out all the subjectivity and you just make something objective, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, I remember when the Blair Witch, the original came out, you know, and, uh, and that was, um, kind of for a lot of people, you know, you know, say what you will about the project. It had a certain authenticity to it. It had a certain kind of, um, it kind of worked for what it was, but then you saw these other like found footage films come out and they've been coming out for like, you know, a decade and a half after that. And so many of them have been kind of a carbon copy of that. And they just are lacking that subjective element of artistry to it. It kind of is just like, you know, like copying what they're doing. And I think it's, it's, you know, there's modeling, like there's going, yeah, I like this whole found footage idea but then you still have to find the story underneath that, that, mm. that we connect to because, and the story is something that I, I think that there is an objective, um, structure to story, like for the most part. Um, but I think it's a very 
those, those objective elements need to be filled with subjectivity of the artist. Mm -hmm. And I think like where stealing and copying comes in and becomes a problem, it, you know, for the artist and for anyone they take from or, and for the audience is that it, it, it lacks their own artistry. It lacks their subjectivity. And when you were sharing about what you're talking about auditioning, which I've done the same thing, getting everything right, doing nothing wrong, it lacked artistry, but yeah. it had all the industry elements that I thought I needed. You know, I, I stood on my mark. I, you know, I connected with the reader. I, I said the lines, I got the scene. Um, I, you know, I talked to the casting director and director beforehand, had a nice conversation. We had a nice conversation afterwards. I did all the right things they tell yeah. me to do. You know what yeah. I mean? Yet, um, I, I leave with this, you know, sim similar to you, this emptiness, this kind of like, you know, but there's, there's auditions where I've done, um, you know, and usually like either I get the part or get put on hold or whatever for them. They're the ones where I go in and I'm like, Whoa, like what the hell happened? You like walk out and you're like, I don't know if it was good or bad or like, I'm just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm buzzing. My body's buzzing right now. I'm like, yeah, I need to go like, I need to go walk around the block before I get in my car because like something happened in there and, and you kind of get out and you're like, you're like, Whoa. And like that, that is my experience of artistry. It's so full. You don't even understand what the hell happened. Yeah. It was like, you know, and like, I remember I did an audition once and, uh, I remember like, I, like I got so angry and, uh, the casting director, th they were, they got scared. Like they, they actually got scared and it was interesting. And then we stopped the scene and I kind of was like, Whew. and they were like, they were like, Whoa, they were like, whoa, you, you, I, I you scared me. Like, like, yeah. they're like, like, wow. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, but something happened and it wasn't like, I don't think they were worried that I was going to like hurt the reader. They were just like, like you really like, you know, and I think that's what happens when real emotion, when real like stuff comes up. And I think like, you know, well, I mean, everybody's in their own stage for me as an artist, it's getting to that point where I trust that enough, where I don't, um, where I know I understand how to do the industry enough, but I trust that what's inside of me is what's more important. And I think mm -hmm. that's been kind of the gap that I've been working on closing as an actor. I, I don't know yeah. about you, but no, you know, I think I, like what, maybe I guess we all are. The word that you said was like, to me in there was, was real. There was something in it that, that was real for you. Yeah. And usually when you are like for, maybe I won't say you, I'll speak in the first person. <laughs> When I have been too focused on, on technically what I think needs to happen in it, um, and, and trying to simply fulfill what I, I think is being required, um, there's not as much real in it for me. Yes. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, totally I'm just like, mean, yeah. I'm just like, it's something that I'm putting on as opposed to something that's coming from me. Yeah. And, and when you're, I think heading down into the, when you're getting into the right direction, there's, there's something real about what's going on in it for you. Mm. There's something that touches on something inside you, uh, that, that just makes everything else sort of less important. It becomes like the focus of it, which I think is, is the way it should be. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, they say it's like better, better to tell how, how does this one go? 
I used to say, I like to say this, it's, a, it's an acting adage that like is, is really wonderful. Um, better to tell, um, a small truth than to tell a great, great lie. Yes. Right. Like it's just, it's just infinitely better to just like, if you have a little just grain of like a, a beautiful something that's real and honest in it, than like to do like the most like crazy extreme thing that's just like, it has just entirely been put on. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no groundedness into it. There's no real genuine feeling that's behind any of it. It was just, it's just all put on. Well, I think that's the problem with the great lie. Like when, when artists try to do the great lie, it's the great copy. It's the great, yeah, it's the great stealing. Cause think about it. Like how did you even come up with the idea? You know, like, you, you, you know, to cause think, it was something that you saw before. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a copy, right? But that's the thing about when things happen in the moment, when things are, are real, when things are authentic is that it happens in its, in its own way. Like, you know, when, when someone opens up and they're truly connected to what they're, what they're sharing, you know, it's a, it's a much different experience than when someone kind of like puts it on, you know, and, 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 you know, you can kind of like, as the listener or the audience member, you can kind of tell the difference, like you can feel the difference. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, also like, I mean, there's a study that came out recently where they were saying like, it's actually true. Like human beings transfer energy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, like if you think about it, like we're transferring a different vibration, a different energy to each other, um, when we're authentic than we are when we're copying. And I think that, um, part of the copy, even if it doesn't like necessarily look the same, there's kind of a, there's kind of a falseness to it. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel real even mm-hmm. for the audience member, but like when someone's like really in it, like I, we get really captivated, you yeah. know, nature. I love watching nature. I love watching animals like, you know, because animals don't put anything on. You know what I mean? Like for the most part, like they're usually when they're doing something like, I don't know, I, I was, uh, walking around the seawall today and I was watching these little baby, uh, otters swim in the water. Right. And they were exploring the docks, like over by the boats. And, you know, they didn't, they weren't trying to do it a certain way. They weren't trying to be yeah. interesting, but they were fascinating. Just the way they're, the way they were exploring and, and how they were, you know, and, and the way they were looking around and doing what they're doing. And their mother was kind of off to the side, kind of watching them, kind of making sure they were safe. And even what she was doing was really interesting. And it's like, there's, I'd never seen that before yet. I'm sure that happens in nature over and over and over again. Yeah. Yet it's not a copy because in that moment it's totally original. And I think that's where copy, um, is different. Cause I think there's movies that are somewhat like similar or books that are similar or songs that are similar, but when there's a realness to it an authenticity mm-hmm. to it, even if it's similar, it's like not a copy because there's something about the artist coming through, which can't be copied. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that it does require a certain, uh, a sense of, of yourself having a certain connection to, to yourself and, and having a sense of value about what you do, because it's like, you know, when you're in a place where you're not feeling very confident, when you're not feeling like you, you have much to offer, it's, I think you're much more prone to 
going into the root of, of copying yeah. or, or maybe not necessarily copying, but in, you know, shutting, shutting out your voice in it because you don't trust it because you don't, you don't think that it's of any worth, hmm. right? When, you know, what you need to be doing is entirely the opposite thing. Like yeah. just taking a chance on that. Cause like the, the more you shut that out, I mean, the, I think the less connected you're going to feel to your work, the less, um, and I think also the less results you're going to get from it in, as far as the industry goes, you know, whatever industry that is, you know, like the, I I think that it, it kind of goes hand in hand, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's, it is, we, we talk about meeting, meeting the demands of the industry, but, you know, being, being, of integrity and, and fully expressing as artists as well. Mm-hmm. I think we need to also like as artists, um, you know, if we want to be more original and be less of a copy and, and I think what we need to do is understand that our, our opinions might not be valid. They might not necessarily be right, wrong, the truth, but our experience is always the truth and it's always valid you know, and someone's experience, if someone says to me, you know, Brandon, you know, you're, you're an asshole. Well, I can say, well, no, I'm not, but that's like their experience of me as an asshole. So if they experience yeah. any of that, then that's valid, right? That's their experience. I don't get to determine that, right? You know, I don't think of myself as an asshole, but if they experience me that way, I'm not saying this happened, but if they experienced me that way, um, it's happened, it's happened. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Evan. Thanks a lot. No, anyway, no. So if they experience me that way, right? Like, like, uh, like our experience is valid. And I think that's where, you know, what we're talking about, like when we're doing our art, our art comes from our experience. And so our experience is valid. Our opinions about the world, what we, you know, what we think is right and wrong and all that stuff, that's not necessarily right or wrong or valid, but our experience of the way we of the way we, we express ourselves and the way we, uh, take in the world that is relevant. And I think what we need to start owning with our voice as artists is our experience, Mm -hmm. you know, because if I say like, you know, I experienced this person this way, or I experienced this thing this way, I can own that because that's mine. But if I try to like, say my opinion of this person is this way, or this thing is this way, it's like, that's not true because I don't have access to that. And I think where we fail as artists is we get too objective. We make objective statements and we say our opinions and we have opinions on scenes, opinions on songs and opinions on art pieces and whatnot. Yeah. And people. But I think what we need to do is we need to start looking at what's my experience of it. Yeah. You know, and I also, I think this is, I'm seeing that there's a really strong correlation. We've already sort of talked about this, but to me, it, it's, it really is, there's still this big play of this idea of, of right and wrong of like being right and being wrong as opposed to, well, this is how I, this is my experience of it. This is my perception of this and, and going fully forward with that, you know, like it's, you might be decide that one day that you were, you were wrong about the how you felt about something one time or what you thought about something at one point in time. But you kind of have to go with, with what you know at the time, mm. I think like it's, and, and give that 
its place to express itself, right? And maybe it will, would actually be through the expression of that idea that you completely change your mind about the whole thing. Right. But I mean, it's, I think it's a lot, it's, it's a more productive task to engage with your work in that way Mm -hmm. than to just try and put something else on out of some sense of like, well, I think this is right. Mm. Or I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Cause I think that's probably where copying kind of starts to come in where we, we, we have an inauthenticity in the way we model is that we, we make things right and wrong. Cause I think also like, you know, we have this world that's marketing us and, and telling us how we're supposed to look, what we're supposed to wear, how we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to date, you know, what jobs we're supposed to do, what jobs we're not supposed to do, you what know, cars we're what supposed our to drive, what, yeah, what we're supposed to drink, what we're like, right. what we're supposed and to so eat. And so we get all like, these, we get this voice from outside of us, right. As opposed to us, you know, where, you know, um, we might like or be interested in things that we're not supposed to be interested in. And so we just kind of, you know, we kind of keep it secret or suppress it. And, um, you know, I think, you know, with artistry, it's kind of like owning what you're interested in and and owning how you want to be. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's still important that we take these things in. Right. Yeah. And we, but we engage with it in a, in a different way, as opposed to it's like in, in, in engaging with these things as being like, okay, so what is my experience of this as opposed to, well, this is the right thing or the wrong thing to do, Mm -hmm. but to engage with kind of all of it to a degree, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else or hurting yourself necessarily. Yeah. But, um, but engaging with all of it, like having a curiosity about all of it. And then, because it's only through our experience of things that we can truly know something. Yes. Right. So it's, we have to kind of venture out there and risk being wrong (laughs) about, about some things or, what, whatever might come of it so that we can actually have a real deep sense of, of what we're, we are expressing or what we want to express in our art, because otherwise we're just, we're kind of going into it blind. We're just making assumptions about a lot of things. So, you know, we, we have to, we always have to like measure things kind of like up against ourselves, you know, it's like, take the messages we're getting, taking our, our experiences and saying, well, what do I actually think of all of this? You know, like what do, Mm. yeah. And again, that comes down to like learning to really connect to, to our voice. That's in, that's speaking to us, I think all the time, all the time, but we, we do shut it, shut it out, out of this sense of, well, what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. Mm. And once we can get past that whole concept of it's like, well, what's the right thing to say or do? What's the wrong thing to say or do in this situation and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, not that that can't necessarily inform your decision. There might be good reasons why, you know, we, we kind of teach these things or our, why our society kind of, I don't know, um, preaches some of these, some of these concepts, but ultimately everything we need to weigh against our, ourselves and say, well, what do I think about that? What do I actually feel about that? Hmm. Um, you know, I think it was, I can't remember in, in which of Plato's writings that he did, but there's, there's an, a section of it, um, 
where he talks about in integrity and, um, and it was, it was written as like the, as for man, but you know, man or woman we'll, mm-hmm. we'll say, in this, yeah. but <laughs> he's saying for the man, a man of integrity, their society has no law for a man of integrity because that man is a law unto themselves. Yes. And I always love, I always love that because it's, it's just like everything, everything is ultimate. Like nothing is, is certain. Nothing is like we come up with these things as general sort of blanket policies, but that doesn't mean necessarily that, that everything is, needs to be adhered to, that there is a right and a wrong, that there, that it ultimately comes down to each person. And if you have an integrity and a sort of a a morality within your, your own sense, and you can measure the world against that, you know, you can actually make better decisions, I think. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was kind of all over the place there. I don't know. Well, you know, like copying and and stealing, like, I mean, it's like, it's just like kind of following all the rules, you know, like it's the safe bet. It's like, uh, you know, taking external things that you're told and doing all those things. And, um, you know, there's that saying is like, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's like, well, what is a good person? Is a good person, someone who just follows all the rules and does everything right. And I think that, our, our, um, we have a very elementary idea on what it means to be a good person. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think there are good, good or bad people. I, I don't particularly think that way, but, um, I think there's people who do destructive things and there's people who are constructive. And I think we're, we're all a little destructive and, and, a li- and, and I think for yeah. the most part we want to be constructive. But the thing is, is like, you know, I think we're all working towards being more constructive people in our lives. But. Yeah, I think for the most part, and then there's those few exceptions of people who want to see destruction, and it's just an anomaly, and, you know, there's whatever uh, pattern or story they've created in their mind to, like, you know, go down that road. But for the most part, um, you know, a good person, um, you know, I think follows everything that we agree upon in a society, and they try to, like, not, you know, upset anybody, and and they try to like, you know, for the most part, um, follow the rules and do the right thing and whatever. But if that is all coming from this, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm doing it more because I'm just like, I want to fit in and I want to like, that's one way to do it. But I think a, a man or a woman of integrity, they do it because they understand the value in doing it. They understand like, I'm doing this because I see I'm upholding a good thing here. Mm-hmm. And I think like, um, you know, you're, you're, artistic voice, um, is more, is louder and more pronounced when you have integrity. Because if you have, if you have self-guidance as opposed to like societal guidance, then you're more, you have more of a voice in your own life. You, you like, like, um, I don't run a, I don't run a red light because I recognize that someone could get hurt, but you know what, if it's the middle of the night and no cars are around, and there's, you know, no camera there to like catch my license plate just cause you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's fine. Okay. So it's not about breaking the law for me. It's about going, okay, well it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting me. It's fine. Just keep moving on. Yeah. Right? It's like, what is this upholding? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, like that's just a simple example. I mean, there's many examples you could use, but if I guide myself and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I, I don't, I, there's many things where I, where, you know, I, I still am looking at to build myself upon. But if I, every time I make a decision, because 
I believe in it or don't believe in it, I'm more self-guided. And so the more self-guided I am, the way I see it is the more of an artistic voice I have, because the more I trust that my voice is my guide, not, not what the world's telling me to do. If it's the opposite though, I follow all the rules because that's what everyone tells me to do. I would experience my life as my, my voice is very quiet and, and I have to, and everyone else's is loud. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think as you know, young artists kind of come into this industry, unless they've had like really good guidance or mentorship, we come with a quiet voice and we expect that everyone knows more than us and everybody's the expert and we're the, we're, you know, and we're not. And yes, maybe we don't have a lot of experience, but I always try to tell people whether they're, it's their first film or script they're, they're writing or making, or if it's their 20th, like I always tell them before we ever work together is that what I'm interested in was you want to say, what is it that you want to talk about? Like, and I want to further connect you to your voice because mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the and day, it's, it's funny. Cause that like weirds people out sometimes. It does a little bit. Right? People are like, wait, what? People like, want what do you a mean? script. Yeah. They want a <laughs> script like, well, okay, well how do I talk to an investor? I'm like, here, I'll give you the principles on what, on the way you talk to an investor. But if you say what I would say, it's going to come off as unauthentic inauthentic yeah. because what I would say to an investor and what you would say to an investor is different. And like the way I'm excited about a story is different than the way you're excited about a story. Your experience of excitement and my experience, although they look similar are different and your expression of it is different than mine. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, I'm not talking on a physiological level. I'm talking on a psychological level, you know? And, uh, and I think this is the thing is like, I think in, and you've talked about this before, but I really think that originality, our sense of originality, even though we might be doing the same thing that's been done before comes from our own owning our own experience and our own expression and our own voice. Yeah. And like, even if I'm doing the same thing you're doing, which is kind of copying, but if I do it from my experience and my expression in this, there's a originality to it, you know? And like, um, in some film schools, they'll do this. And I think it's a good exercise for new filmmakers. Yeah. Um, even they do it in acting schools too. They'll get everyone to direct or say act the same scene. Mm-hmm. And it's really good because what ends up happening is everyone does, does their own. And you realize that everyone did it differently, even though yeah. they say the same lines, they do the, the, it's the same basic scene. Everyone shoots it differently. Everyone directs the actors differently. It's blocked differently. There's yeah. not a single one that looks the same. And when, when you don't let them see each other, it's really interesting what they yeah. all bring to the table. And, and oftentimes in those scenarios, like I've, I've scenes and plays that I've seen before, like, you know, I've, I've seen performed like sometimes probably dozens of times even. Um, and a certain act, like a group of actors will come along and they'll, and they'll do a production or they'll do a performance of this scene or whatever. And I'm getting messages and hearing things like as if I'm hearing them for the first time, I'm like, Whoa, I never got that before. Yeah. And it's like, even though I've literally witnessed this scene (laughs) done in some variation, you know, like 12 times before this. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's literal. Like I've actually had that experience where it's like, Oh yeah, I know this scene, whatever. And then I, then I watch it and then I go, Oh, Holy shit. There was a whole thing going on that these, that these actors found within this dynamic. There was something, there was a connection that was, that was there that I've, 
I never saw in this before. And it, it just gave me a whole new awareness to this. It just shifted something for me a little bit. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's really exciting to see that, you know, seeing, seeing artists tap into just tap into something like tapping into like their deepest levels of human understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what I would like to do is kind of from this point in the, in the discussion is like, um, if, if you don't mind, is I like to take what we've discussed right now and start to really hone in on this inspiration and stealing. Like what's yeah. the difference? Like where is the inspiration and where's the stealing? Cause I think what we've, what we've covered so far, if I'm not mistaken, is that, um, our artist voice is where we're inspired from, right? That's, that's us actually being inspired and, and, and expressing or experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and stealing is when we're not using our, our sense of integrity, our artist voice. It's when we're doing the right thing. That's where stealing is because, and copying, because now we're, we're doing what we think we're supposed to do. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you just kind of nailed it. Yeah. Like the stealing. <laughs> I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> well, yeah, write it down. So, so I mean, the stealing, the stealing comes from, tr- from like doing this, all the right from things, doing the right things that yeah. we're kind of told to do. And we, and we think, we think we're supposed to do. Um, it's kind of the obligatory, um, uh, you know, someone told us to do this. We think it's what we're, you know, we think it's what's best and we're using kind of our head and like, to do that. I think that's where the stealing and copying is. Yeah. And I think, and this is like almost coming right back to the, the start of the conversation instead, like to be inspired by something is to see something and say like, Whoa, not only does that work, like it's clearly like this works. I like what happened. Like this, this works. It's like now what would I do with, with this? Yes. What would I do with this? Right. And that would be your expression and your experience. Yes. And then, and then perhaps your experience and your expression of it brings a whole new dynamic to it. Maybe it even, it even evolves that to a degree. Maybe you discover something even further because like the, you know, so often like we like a, like a great book or a great movie or, or something like, or a great album, you know, like you, you come back to it and you listen to it, you watch it, you read it again. And, and there's something entirely new about it. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes there's, there's a way like, um, you know, my, my fiance who coaches people, she says like, well, she's like, you don't have to necessarily be the most original person in the world, but perhaps like you don't necessarily have to come up with anything new, but perhaps somebody can only hear the message in your voice. Right. right? Like sometimes there's just like, yeah, this could be like, like wisdom or a concept or an idea that has been around for, for thousands of years. Yeah. And for whatever reason, your understanding of this idea, the way that that idea expresses itself through you authentically, it lands with somebody like you could give that original piece of information that this person had like written on a stone tablet, (laughs) you know, many years ago and you say it and they go, yeah, okay. And then another person just says it in their way and how they understand it. And that person goes, yeah, completely. Right. I get it. Right. Like that's, that, that's an absolute reality. Hmm. Right. And that's just because we, again, our experiences, we have our own unique life experience and our way of expressing that. 
and it's not going to connect to everybody, but it will connect with somebody who's maybe gone through something similar or maybe not at all. I don't know. I don't know how this shit works. Yeah. I don't know how it works either. You know, but I know that this seems to be a truth somehow that, that goes on out in the world. Well, it reminds me of when we met Rob Reiner in in, uh, LA there and he was saying about, uh, stand by me. And he said, you know, I don't know. I didn't know stand by me would work. He just like, I knew that I connected to the story and he's like, that's why I wanted to make it. And he says, I don't know what's going to work for you guys, but he's like, make stuff you care about. Cause at the end of the day, you've made a bunch of films you care about. Yeah. And that always stuck with me. I mean, I, I think it's like my model in life because it just makes so much sense. And I think, you know, we connected to stand by me through his, like, at least I think a lot of people were very connected in that project, but through his um, connection to it was part of what helped facilitate us as an audience and yeah. audiences to be, to be able to connect with that film. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, and I think that that is and why it doesn't that, come from just trying to do it right. No, totally. He, he connected to it in his way. And then, you know, and you can name all the other actors and all the other people who are part of it. And, and Stephen King who wrote the book and all that stuff. Um, you know, they all in a certain way expressed, their connection to it. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of it is enough people start coming together and start doing that and and something magical happens. Yeah. Right. And, um, I think sometimes like, you know, there's little bits of really great truth in a movie. Like for example, um, there's this silly rom-com called failure to launch. Um, it's kind of corny. Yeah. I, I, I know the title. I I don't, well, it's got Kathy Bates in it. And it has oh, okay. a now Oscar winner. Um, what's his name? Uh, you always do his voice really well. He's like, all right, all right. All oh, right. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. That's okay. it. So he's in it. He's the failure to launch, I believe. Or is it him or is it Owen Wilson? It might've been Owen Wilson. Actually. Oh, is it Owen Wilson? Oh man. I don't remember, but I remember oh, Kathy Bates and this is why. Yeah. Cause I went to see, she's this. amazing. She's amazing. But okay. This is a silly rom-com funny. Ha ha. Yeah. Silly rom-com. Right. Anyway. So I go to this movie one night and, uh, whenever it was out and I was like, I don't know what was going on in my life, but I didn't have anyone to go with. And I wanted to see a movie. And for some reason I chose a rom-com, <laughs> but I'm but like, I'm the kind of guy like, Way to I'm, go. A, I'm like, I've dedicated my life to film. So I don't, I don't, I just go see any movie. I'll see animation. I'll see rom-com. I'll see horror. I'll see whatever. I have my preferences that I prefer, but I like to see everything because I like to kind of, I, I want to be someone who really understands, you know, the various mediums of film. Um, but anyway, I was in this film, so I'm watching, I'm laughing, and, you know, it's good and whatever. Then there's a scene, 75% of the way through the movie. It's Kathy Bates and whoever her son is, if it's Matthew McConaughey or Owen Wilson, I honestly don't remember now. Anyway, whatever. Um, but, but, but it was what Kathy Bates, her connection to the scene. She tells her son, who's basically not moved out of his house, and he's like 30-something or yeah. whatever, that she's, she's scared about being alone now that he's moving out. I'm crying. I'm like, I'm like so connected to her struggle. I'm in the theater, like, like crying silently, but like, I cannot (laughs) stop crying. I'm just like, so sad for this woman who's scared to be alone. I don't know why I connected to her struggle about this fear of being alone, this fear of being kind of abandoned and left. And, and I think that that moment in that movie was really truthful. Like it was just really like, you know, someone might watch it now and not have the same experience I did, 
because maybe you expect it. But this was like a moment in a movie I did not expect that yeah. was just really honest, you know? <laughs> and it was like funny because I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm in this theater and I'm like, I'm trying to like make, like make sure like, cause, cause I'm like this like guy in this, everyone's dating, right? Cause it's the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was like, I don't know why I was so embarrassed <laughs> at the time, but, uh, <laughs> I just thought, I guess I thought it was silly that. I would go to first. I thought it was silly. I would go to a rom com yeah. alone, and then I would sit there and cry alone. I just think that's <laughs> funny. I think that's really funny. Like you know, to have that happen, right? Yeah. A guy goes to a rom com alone and cries. I just I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, maybe it's not. No, it's I, good. Yeah. It's good. I like it. So, um, but anyway, my point was is that I I think that that's you know that there's an authenticity to it. There's there's an originality to it. And yeah, like the whole idea of being alone is not necessarily new you know, but the way that she expressed it was really profound for me at that time. Yeah. 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 It just touches on, you know, great actors can touch and great writers and great pieces of music. They just touch on something in our humanity. Yeah. And well, the writer who I don't know their name at this moment either, but they wrote that scene, you know, and that's, that's amazing too. Right. And there's something, some, somehow along the line, the director and the, the actors and the writer and everybody, they figured out how to capture that moment. And you know, they say that in film, they say it's like capturing lightning in a jar. Yeah, it really is. But you get those moments and they just stand out, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, okay. Well, this yeah. has been good. Why don't you tell us about the beer? This beer is, uh, from our friends at red truck brewing, oh. red truck brewery. Yeah. Uh, and this, I, I got this one without even tasting it. It was just, that's I saw a, it. That's a first on this show. <laughs> I don't know. I might've done that once before. Oh, really? I Secret. don't know what it, what it was, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got this one. Uh, you didn't know how it looked sight either. unseen. <laughs> yeah, no, you poured it out of there and I was just like, Whoa, look at that. It is red. Yeah. It is really um, red. Yeah. Uh, and which would go with what this beer is. This is, uh, a seasonal, I think it's the end of their season seasonal now on this one. But, um, this is a blackberry scotch ale. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I really like it. I, I like when I pour it out, I'm like, uh Oh, like, did we just get a sour? I'm like, I, cause you didn't tell me what it was and I'm not usually like, yeah. I'm usually like, like I'll have like a, like one of my flight flights, like yeah, just one a will something. be a sour, but that's it. Like, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I've hit my tolerance, but, um, it's, it's surprisingly, really tasty and it's not as uh, sweet or sour as I thought it might be. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of got a nice balance in, in that respect. It's not one I'm finding that like I'm drinking very fast. Mm. Um, I'm kind of like nursing on this one and it's, sipping it, but it's, it's still really enjoyable, but yeah, it's, it's got enough sweetness to it that like it kind yeah. of keeps you from like, like really like putting it back. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah no, I, I hear you. It's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of refreshing, but a little bit, it has like a little bit, uh, it's a little bit dry too. I find, mm-hmm. you know, it's like kind of a little dry, a little sweet, which is usually when the beer is like that, I drink it a little slower. Um, but yeah, I, I've been really enjoying this one. I would definitely like it. Definitely a nice summer beer, you know? Yeah. And and you're right. I think it has a nice balance. Mm-hmm. And I was, th- I was wondering what was going to happen with like, like, Oh, blackberry scotch. Yeah. Like I was, I was thinking like maybe super heavy, like it could have ended up being, um, but not at all. So no. there you go. Yeah. So if you're next summer or whenever the summer is, if it's summer already, go down to red truck and get their 
Blackberry Scotch Ale. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, so, uh, well, we, uh, any thoughts? I, any, any thoughts further on this? I don't know if I have anything further. I mean, I feel like sometimes we can, uh, we can just, like, continue on and on and on and on yeah, and we, on with this stuff. So, um, yeah, so let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Right. I feel like we've covered a lot of great territory here today. Well, we've been trying to find the line between these things of, uh, inspiration and, and theft. And I think, um, you know, I think the thing is, is, you know, stealing, you know, when we started this conversation, I, I thought I had this idea of what stealing was, that it was just doing something someone else had done when it comes to art. And what I'm starting to see is that, um, it's just not that simple. You know, you might say the same lines and, and you might, you might in some ways have the same direction around certain things, but your experience of it is what makes it, um, an inspiration. But if you don't own your experience, it just becomes a copy and it becomes stealing. And I think also, um, our expression, I think like as a writer, if you don't express your sense of self, you know, your, your sense of experience through the writing, you might write a scene that's similar to something that's already been done in a movie, but without your sense of personal touch, it kind of just becomes stealing. It kind of becomes the same. But I think like a scene, you know, like we've all seen that say torture scene that happens in movies, you know, they happen in various ways, you know, someone gets tortured or whatever. But, um, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of scenes or the the scene where it's like in the rom-com where they kiss at the end or, you know, whatever. There's all these like cliche things that happen. Yeah. But every once in a while you see a movie where the cliche thing happens, but it doesn't seem cliche. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of inspired. And so, uh, um, I think that, uh, I, I think that the, the line that we're, we're that we're learning is, is not, it, it's kind of where it comes from. It's, it's not like a, it's, it's not like something that you, um, as much, I think there's a part of it, like you don't just take what someone else did and like do it, but there's this part of it, like where you find yourself in it. And then once you do that, it becomes inspiration. But if you don't find yourself in it, if you don't connect to that experience, then it becomes stealing. Yeah. And even if you do something where they say entirely different things and no one's ever seen that scene before, if it comes without a sense of you in it, like a a sense of the artist in it. Um, and I'm not saying the artist needs to like have their identity show through it, but their experience kind of come through the work. I think that's where the stealing happens. I think there was the copying and the, and the lack of, uh, integrity and the lack of, um, authenticity is. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's, that's how I would wrap this up in, in my understanding of what yeah. we discuss. Um, yeah. Like what you're saying, I, I love that you said the word complex because it seems that that's just like in, in the artistic realm, like that's kind of in, in the territory that, that we navigate. It's like, all these complexities, you know, not necessarily. And again, this leads into one of the things I want to close off with was this whole concept of, of being right. You know, these complexities sometimes don't really necessarily leave room for there being a right answer about things. And what you said there, like here towards the end, I'm like, yeah, like, like absolutely like the, and I've had this said to me before. Um, you know, that was like the, the need to get it right works against you. Mm. And, and it's, it's so true with, within art. So 
the, the sooner you can, you can start shifting your perception and creating that awareness in yourself that like, Oh, this voice that's in you, that's trying to get this thing right is the one that's probably going to plagiarize is the one that's probably going to want to just try and copy and, and paste everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and once you can start to recognize that, because that, I think that voice is drowning out your actual artist voice yes. that's trying to speak to you. And that artist voice says like, Ooh, I like that. Let's see what we can do with it. And like, and right. that's, that's the one that, that turns it into inspiration mm. and, and can fuel you. So, um, yeah, you know what? I had a thought, just one last thing I wanted to say. No, Brandon. Yes. Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you tell me what to do. Um, is, uh, I, you know, I kind of had this assumption that when we started this talk too, that, you know, if you steal, you know, where you're stealing from, but I'm realizing now, like after you said what you did, that we don't know where we're stealing from. That's part of the problem as artists is that we got it somewhere else because it's not like a tangible thing. It's not like you took the money out of the, you know, someone's house or, or stole the material thing. It's an idea. It's a, you know, and it's a cliche that was already created or something in someone else. And so if we don't find our own sense of it in ourself, we steal it, not even knowing where we got it from. Yeah. Right. And I think that, um, when you go from your own experience, there's, um, there's, there's a lack, well, not a lack, but there's, you're not really stealing because you're coming from your emotional internal personhood of understanding. But when you come from a like, Oh, that sounded cool. I'm going to use that. Like, and maybe you heard it somewhere else and you don't even know where you heard it, but you use it kind of thinking, yeah, that would be cool. Then, you know, it's a copy. I always call writers out on that. Like, like when I feel like they've really had an, they wrote something really inauthentic. I, I like, I really try to call them out on like, it, it sounds like you're trying to be cool here. Mm -hmm. And when they're trying to be cool, it's it, like, I mean, what I'm realizing, like, what I'm really saying is it sounds like you're trying to like do what you think would be good. Yes. You know, and it's just not, it's like not, it yeah. seems like it would be, I can get where they're coming from, but it's just not. And I've, I've tried to write like that before. I mean, I think everybody stumbles on that a little bit. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can parallel that with like, you know, teaching actors with the, with the Meisner work. Like it's, it's almost inevitable. Like at some point, if not everybody, at least a good, good handful, like at some point someone's going to do something in the work, like, and it's, it's so apparent immediately, which is why I love the work, but <laughs> it's like someone will just, will just do something like within the, the repetition, the exchange that's going on Yeah, that they'll just kind of put a little something into it. Right. They'll just put a little something onto <laughs> it just to create variety, just to yeah. change it up. And it's just like, well, you just did that. And it was like, it was just there for the sake of being interesting because yeah. you wanted it to, you were, you wanted it to try and, and be something, something more. Whereas like, Oh no, if you actually just kind of like, if you're actually really, really truly engaged with, with what's happening, like things will, will happen mm -hmm. and you don't need, you just need to trust it. Right. And, uh, yeah, trust, trust your expression, trust the value of that you have expression inside you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, this has been a great talk. Yeah, yeah, man.
That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.